Hello and welcome to Success Stories with Kinder Hall, the podcast where we sit down with the brightest stars and boldest thought leaders as they share their stories so you can create your own success story. I am your host, Kendra Hall. And here's what I love about the conversation I'm about to share with you. I feel like there is this natural tension. I'm not even sure if tension is the perfect word, but this mystery that exists in the space between the work you do and the person you are. And this is true whether you are an entrepreneur or a leader in an organization, the relationship between yourself and your work and how much of one to bring to the other is a mystery that we're constantly uncovering and revealing clues to. How do they not only coexist, but how does one actually be the cause of the other one truly thriving. Now, if you've been on that journey to understand that intersection between who you are and what you do, there are a few moments of complete clarity that happen in the stories told in this episode that I know could change something big for you. A few statements that that have changed something big for me that I've said over and over to myself in my own moments of doubt or discovery since recording this interview. So let's get to it. Today's success story is Vishen Lakhiani. Vishen Lakhiani is one of today's most influential minds in the fields of personal growth and human consciousness. He is the founder and CEO of Mind Valley, the world's leading online personal growth education company and the driving force behind several top-ranking health and wellness apps. He is also the New York Times bestselling author of the 2017 book, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind, and most recently, the 2020 book, The Buddha and the Badass, The Secret, Spiritual Art of Succeeding at Work. Vision, welcome to success. I can't wait to hear your stories. Hi, Kendra. Nice to be here. So happy to have you. And first and foremost, congratulations on another mm-hmm. successful book. I was so excited to get this copy recently, The Buddha and the Badass, The Secret to Spiritual Art of Succeeding at Work. I have to tell you, I read the, uh, I think it was even the part that's before the introduction that like preps you for how to read the this part, book. Right, right. I, I always start I always start my books with a series of instructions on how to read the book because I like to break rules and um, every book has a different way of, of being read. Yeah, so so actually I wasn't planning to start there, but tell me what made you because it was it was so helpful for me. Because usually you just open the book, maybe you dive right into an introduction, but I did as I was right. reading those rules. I was thinking about myself, the, which right off the bat set me up for an introspective right. experience. Well, well. So let me tell you where those rules come from. So when I'm not writing books, I'm the CEO of Mind Valley, and what Mind Valley is building is the world's most advanced education platform. So we are a 300 person company and we focus on personal growth and entrepreneurship training. We produce the world's best programs on a really solid technology platform. I'm an engineer by nature, but before being an engineer, I was a meditation teacher. 
So I've always played at the intersection of technology and teaching. And when I write my books, what I do is I bring in what I call transformational theory. And transformational theory means how do you teach people so that they don't just put, get facts in their brain, but they, they evolve, they change because of what you're putting in the teaching. So all my books are infused with transformational theory and there are certain elements that go in the book. So in my first book, Code of the Extraordinary Mind, something absolutely insane happened. You see, in the first, first 10 pages of the book, I didn't do an introduction. Well, to be fair, I asked Elon Musk if he would write the introduction. Obviously, I got to know because Elon is busy with other things such as colonizing, <laughs> colonizing planets. Yes, yes. So, so instead, I figured, you know, if Elon Musk isn't going to write the intro, screw it. I just won't waste time with an intro. But instead, I wrote, I wrote a chapter called Before You Read This Book. And the first sentence was this. Know that this is not a personal growth book. This is a personal disruption book. And then I went down to break down how I felt users would get the most out of the book. And so it was a series of steps on transformational theory. So you, the book fully makes you change. But here's what happened. It was so addictive. It was so unusual that when Amazon picked up the code of the extraordinary mind to put it on Amazon. So Amazon Prime has a book service and you get like unlimited reads. But on that book service, it only counts a book as read if you go past 10 pages. Now, so many people got hooked on those 10 pages. They completed it that the Code of the Extraordinary Mind became the number one book across all of Amazon for five days in 2017. So one day, I check, I, I just happen to be on Amazon and I see that I'm the second best-selling author on the entire planet. I'd overtaken Hillary Clinton um, in that particular month. It was, I believe it was September 2017. And the day before, I was number one. But all of it happened because that first 10 pages of the Code of the Extraordinary Mind got people so hooked so now other authors started studying what I'm doing in those 10 pages and using the same philosophy in their book. So I accidentally started a trend. And now the Buddha and the Badass has that same philosophy. When you start the Buddha and the Badass, it tells you how to read the book. And the Buddha and the Badass has something unusual about it. It's not meant to be read chapter to chapter. You can jump into whatever chapter best resonates with you and you can jump around and you will still get amazing results from that book. Uh, I can attest to that. I'm a uh, rule follower as far as it's right. concerned. So I open up a book and I start on page one, but I found myself. I loved like part three was my part three was my, my thing. Like I was all the questions what? I have are all part three. Like I, I loved that. And I went back, you know, I was reading part one and part two, but part three, I was in it. Now, you know, want you want to know something really, really interesting. The original director for this book, I was meant to write a book called Blissipline. It was meant to be a book on company culture. What happened was I was giving a speech in Florida and in the audience in 2015, there was an editor from Rodale mm -hmm. and my speech got such a huge standing ovation. She wrote me an a huge check, one of the biggest checks ever for a first time author to turn that speech into a book. And the book was supposed to be on happiness at work, right? Mm -hmm. uh, on happiness at work and company culture and how to design offices and, and, and so on. Now, I didn't write the book. I wrote the code of the extraordinary mind. I wrote the book I wanted to write that turned out to be a good bet. And this book, the Buddha and the badass was meant to, was really meant to be discipline, the, the discipline of bringing bliss to work. It was meant to be that. But halfway through the book, I had this gut feeling that if I stuck to the original plan, the book would not get noticed. No one would read the book. 
And I couldn't understand why. I mean, I was writing about designing offices. Mind Valley's office has made Inc. Magazine top 10 most beautiful offices in the world. I was writing about collab team collaboration and all of these other rules of working together in an office space. But my intuition was right. The book came out in the middle of a pandemic when people were stuck at home, where nobody gave a damn about trying to understand how to work in an office space. Now, in, so last year, I actually rewrote the book. I, I killed the original concept for Blissipline. Mm. All the ideas are in that chapter three that you like so much, but I added eight additional chapters mm -hmm. on what I really wanted to get out there. Now, yeah. my editors, my editors, Penguin Random House, they, they, they were supportive, so they let the book go up. But it was, it was a really good example of following your heart and intuition because I had no idea COVID was going to land. But I'm glad, I'm glad I rewrote the book. I'm, and so I'm done with my original idea. I, I no longer, my whole view of offices and teams has changed during pandemic. I'm no longer writing Blissipline. That book is out of my mind. You know, that was really, it was such an interesting, um, I mean, we're, we're doing this interview. It's the last day of July. You have recent re, recently relocated as a result of what we've learned from the pandemic. I'm in right. transition. I kind of feel, I don't know about you, but I had a sense that come fall, we would things would be, and at least in the yeah. United States, we're not there yet. And so it was really interesting to be reading this book that I could tell was written pre-pandemic that I know was published, which I don't know how right. you did it. I To publish a book in the pandemic had to have been a challenge in and of itself. And now, so the lessons that are in there, some of them do relate to pre-pandemic life um, about getting people together. So, so I wanted to, so as... I think this is such a great opportunity for our success listeners who get the Buddha and the badass and are reading it and are thinking to themselves, connection at the office. Like if you were, you know, there was a big part in there about happiness and and people connecting at the office and and having these these moments, these experiences. Tell us now, like how have so as our readers are reading this book that was written pre-pandemic. What are your thoughts now on, on all of that? How have you shifted right. and, and adapted and how can we do the same? Well, well, actually, there's a lot in the book that is so relevant to the world right now. Yes. Okay. And depending on the time that we have in this interview, I'd love to give a couple of nuggets. Yes. Yeah, we have time. We have, an, we have 45 okay. minutes to go. So let's talk about that chapter three. It's called Attract Your Allies, right? So yeah. in chapter three, I, I share everything I learned about how to create really good connections with other human beings. One of the things about Mind Valley as a, as a publishing company, we represent so many incredible authors. We started out with mostly American authors and now it's authors all across the world. But all of these authors, although we have a contract with them, beyond the legal contract, we have a heart contract. These authors are like my family. They're like my mm. friends. Today, one of the authors called me. Um, she, she's in San Diego and, and she had a huge booking at a hotel for her event. Of course, the event had to get canceled and she's out of $115,000. And you know what? Like my first instinct is to rally my team and we are doing everything we can to help her earn that money back. It's not in the contract, but with me, it's not about business as usual. It's about if I do business with anyone, we are friends and mm -hmm. friends watch out for each other. The chapter on attracting your allies is about creating a new story of how we connect with people from boss to employee, from partner to, 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 um, to coworker. And I want to share one little tip for the people watching that you can immediately bring to your office. So 
In the book, I wrote about a fascinating interview I did with Sean Aker. Sean Aker is a yes. famous Harvard researcher, and he wrote a book called The Happiness Advantage. Mm -hmm. Now, in the book, he spoke about an experiment he did with a company called First National. I believe it's called First National in Omaha. So he went to the CEO, Gary Baker. Gary Baker, he said, was a very numbers guy. And Gary Baker had brought in Sean to help change the culture in the company. They were having issues with employees leaving. They were having issues with retention, with attracting people. And Sean Aker said, I want all your managers to try an experiment. And here's how it's going to work. First thing you're going to do before you start your day, whip out your phone and set a timer for two minutes. Now, in that two minutes, and I mean two minutes, not a minute 59, not two minutes 10, two minutes, you want to open up your email and write an email expressing appreciation to someone else in the office. It could be someone above you, could be someone by your side, could be someone who works for you. You might say, Bob, I so appreciate the fact that every time you walk down to grab a cup of coffee, you always ask me what I want. And you always remember exactly what I need in coffee. Or you might say, Cheryl, I love the fact that you have such a, a great sense of aesthetics that every PowerPoint you put up is so visually captivating. And you go on for, 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 for two minutes. Sean said two minutes is a, is a magic amount. It's, it's long enough to let you fully express yourself. It's not too long that you postpone it because it's yeah. just two minutes. Yep. Now, what happened, at, what happened at, at First National is this exercise completely transformed their culture. It changed the level of happiness in the office. It changed the way people worked with each other. And this company, which had had revenue stagnating at $650 million, 18 months later, revenue shot up to $950 million. That's almost a 50% increase in 18 months. More so, applicants, in other words, people applying to join the company, went up over 200%. Google flew down to see what they were doing. And Gary Baker, the CEO, he was now taking um, customer support people off the floor so they could come together and appreciate each other. So it's fascinating what this type of stuff can do. So right now in my company, in Mind Valley, we're all remote. Mm -hmm. I'm here in a tiny little office in Estonia. We have employees from 60 different countries scattered across the world, and we instituted a 21-day experiment. It actually started, it actually starts on Monday, I believe. Yeah. A 21-day experiment where before you start your work, so if your day starts at 9 a.m., at 8.58 a.m., you whip out your phone, you set a timer for two minutes, and you appreciate someone you work with. Well, and what and, a what a, what a perfect way to while everybody is all spread right. out now. Were they used to being together? Were they were they used to being mm -hmm. in the same office? Yeah. Oh, we 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 have an office with two hundred and fifty people. It's it's a beautiful office. I put so much into the office. It made Inc. Magazine world's most beautiful offices last year, um, and all of that. It's it's unused right now. It's I'm rather sad about it, but I got to get over my own ego because I spent so much on this office. Um, and the funny thing was, just before quarantine hit. We were about to expand the office for another 70 seats, and we were pouring millions into this new space, which is now essentially an empty construction site, mm. right? Uh, because people aren't going back to the office, so we've had to learn to adapt. So tell me, I want to, I mean, you've said so many things, so many things there, but I want to tap into that a little bit, because yeah, the essence of who you are and in, in reading your book and even just spending a couple minutes here with you, I can tell like this, the, the, creating beautiful spaces and that that's that's part of that's part of who right. you are and you just said you know letting go of your own ego and your own sadness can we talk a little because i know there's so many people out there whether they're leaders in organizations maybe they are authors maybe they are maybe they're in hospital where their 
what they do and and part of what they do is really who they are because they are they have tapped into that that life source like they're doing work that is the essence of who they are but that essence doesn't quite work with the pandemic yet can you tell me a little bit and we're trying to i say we clearly one of them i will i will, right and so you're trying right. to you know stay i don't stay positive like tell me a little bit about how you have managed that sadness and like and that shift absolutely and I, I think that's well and then we'll talk about those um what is it beautiful destruction which i that is the phrase that i was like i know that was in that was in the previous book but it is the one that i kind of want to get tattooed on my wrist so tell me about managing really like that you had to ex- like you're experiencing that sadness right i know exactly absolutely because because life is life is so different right now um, I've had to move countries. I'm currently staying in an Airbnb while I'm shopping for a new apartment. Um, there's been a lot of upheaval. I, um, I'm going through some health issues right now. I'm spending mm. two hours every day in the hospital. I had an accident and, and my spine got kind of twisted. Mm. And, um, and so, yeah, it's been tough. I'm, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but it's how you deal with it that truly matters. So let's answer your question, okay? I want to share some advice for everyone here. Now, the advice I'm going to share comes from the Reverend Michael Beckwith. He runs the Agape Spiritual Center in LA. And uh, Michael Beckwith is one of my mentors. He's an incredible teacher. And what I learned from, and so Michael Beckwith is the most cited teacher in the book. I like to cite different philosophers, different teachers. And so I'm honored to be able to learn from Michael Mm -hmm. and to share his wisdom. What I learned from Michael is a concept called Satori versus Kensho. So what Michael says is that in life, there are two ways we grow we grow through pain or we go, grow through insight. So think about that for a moment. Pain is when you have a business go bankrupt and it's freaking painful, but you learn from that and you learn how to be a better entrepreneur. Pain is when the man or woman you're seeing dumps you, but you learn from that and you learn how, what to look for in your next relationship and how to be a better partner. Pain is when you end up in hospital and you learn from that. You learn how to take better care of your health, how to eat healthier. That is growth through pain. That pain was a momentary discomfort, but it changed you. It evolved you. No one is saying it wasn't painful, but when you come out of that other side, you're a better human being. This is why the Rumi said, the wound is the part through which the light enters. Mm -hmm. This is growth through pain. Now you can also grow through satori or insight. Satori or insight is when you have a contemplative practice, you meditate, you read, you spend time walking through nature and you gain wisdom, you gain insight and you grow through insight. The art of being human is not to reject pain. It's to ensure that in your life, you're creating enough room for insight that as you evolve through life, as your soul seeks to make you evolve, Your soul doesn't have to put you through painful situations because you're too damn stubborn. You're too damn stubborn on that moving around that hamster wheel. You're too damn stubborn hustling, but not taking time to rest and relax and meditate. When you do that, your soul sometimes has to smack you at the back of the head because you aren't listening. But when you learn to create this this reverence in your life Mm -hmm. for yourself, when you learn to activate the Buddha in alignment with the badass. The badass is constantly going. The Buddha sits back and goes within. When you do that, you start to grow more true insight 
than through pain. Mm. Now, yeah, the big, yeah. now, the big lesson right now is that as we go through COVID, what we are seeing is a massive Kensho moment for the entire human species because we, as a species, have been in self-destruct mode for several for a long time. America. I mean, America voted for a president who didn't believe in global warming. That's dangerous. Mm-hmm. We've seen how not having, and, and when I say we, I, I consider myself American. So I'm, I'm speaking of this collectively. We never invested in a proper health system. We never did anything about fake news and political ads on Facebook. And now it's coming back to really hurt us. Now, the good news is this. We will get through this. It's going to be painful for a while. But what I believe is going to emerge in the next generation, what I believe is going to emerge over the next 10 years is a much, much, much better nation. And so this is a collective Kensho moment for everyone. And when you recognize that, you start to understand, you start to understand this quote from Rumi. Oh, ye who cannot take a good rub, how will you ever become a polished gem? Mm-hmm. We need to go through these rubs. We need to go. Through, we need to get get smacked every now and then, so that yeah. we can become a better version of ourselves. And I believe that's what's going to happen individually for us as human beings, mm-hmm. and it's what's going to happen individually for us as a nation. Mm-hmm. Well, and as a as a world, right? We so tell me right. this. I want to know. I know in the in the book you mention a lot of those smacking moments for you. And I have, I have them on, I always put my questions on post-its around my screen. Right. Um, so I've got them. But I want to know, what can you tell me? Because I picture, I picture, we've all had these different smacking moments right. during this, like very specific, like I remember one sitting on my couch. I remember one sitting in Central Park I, where I was like, there right. was Kensha, right? Like, like, a, like a board, like a brick, like a, like whatever it was in the face. Do you remember one of those, those specific moments during this process for you, where you were like, wow, we, this beautiful office is closing or wow, I'm exactly. locating. What were so it was, so it was March 17. Mm-hmm. It was March 17 in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. I just, so I just flown from Hawaii where I had some business meetings to Kuala Lumpur. And um, I just come back from, from, from a month in California and Hawaii. And as I landed in Kuala Lumpur, the news of COVID was starting to buzz. And I didn't think it was going to be anything big. I mean, the world had seen pandemics before, but not since 1968 had a pandemic really shut down the world. What were the odds that was going to happen now? And I started reading various commentary on the internet from scientists, from biohackers, from people who were incredibly smart. And I came across one guy, I wish I could remember his name, but he created a simple mathematical spreadsheet that showed when you would need to shut down your office based on uh, the prevalence of COVID cases and deaths in your, in your region. I plugged in the numbers and I realized, oh shit, we're going to have to shut down in one week. And sure enough, three days later, the government ordered all offices in Kuala Lumpur shut down. And so to me, initially, I went, it was a Kensho moment. I was in panic mode. And because I wasn't aware how this was going to impact the business. My, my first thought was that this is going to crush the business. This is going to be devastating. We are not simply not going to be productive working from home because we were used 
to coming together in the team, in the office. We would have morning scrums with 75 people uh, very rapidly, like, like coordinating. I mean, it's a, it's a rapidly growing business. But what was really interesting is after two months of being in quarantine at home, two months, and in Kuala Lumpur, it was freaking strict. You couldn't leave the house for two months. We couldn't walk our dog. Joggers in our, in our neighborhood got arrested, spent a night in the jail, because the government came down strict to impose two months of, of sheer control so that we could get past this, right? But what happened is we adjusted. I started spending more time with my kids. Schools were, were shut down. I started to enjoy working from home. I became ultra productive. And I started, um, I started getting hooked on so many Netflix shows. That was the best part. But at the same time, it was the most, this is the crazy part. For me, it was the single most productive two months of my life. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that, the company started hitting new record revenues, new record profitability. Um, and we were doing it in a far more lean, efficient way. Mm -hmm. And so what I thought was going to be a painful moment turned out to be an incredible blessing. Because at the end of that two months, I realized I don't want to go back to the office. I had seduced my myself. I brainwashed myself into believing that I needed the beautiful multi-million dollar ink magazine offices that I'd spent money in. Turns out I never really needed that. I was so much happier working from home. And when that realization hit, I realized I didn't have to stay in my country. And so I decided to move to where I really longed to be, Europe. Mm. And so I, we relocated the entire family and I'm now in Europe. I, I wake up early. I get on calls with my 250 person team in Malaysia, but I'm no longer under that illusion that I as a CEO of a company doing a hundred million plus in revenue have to be in the same location as my team. Mm -hmm. So what, so that was a Kensho moment. It was painful. It took adjustment, but I'm now living a new way of life. Yeah. Well, so, so let me, I think this, this is a question that, and you brought it, you brought it up right there. Um, so I, I do have to say, I meant part three of the book. Yeah. That's what you meant. Well, part, yeah, yeah part, part three is my favorite part of the book as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, so part three, part three is about changing the way in which we, we run our businesses. And yes. here's why part three is so relevant. Mm -hmm. what, I, what I introduce in part three is the idea that there's a vast difference between an entrepreneur and a business person. Mm -hmm. Business people do it for the dollars, mm -hmm. but real entrepreneurs, they do it to push humanity forward. What this means is that if you want to call yourself an entrepreneur, stop producing more bullshit products yeah. so you can make a buck. Instead, start giving a damn about the state of planet Earth and human society for your children's 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 children. Mm -hmm. So what I talk about in part three is the concept of companies that are humanity plus versus humanity minus companies, humanity plus companies are companies designed to want to change the world and make humanity and the planet better off humanity minus are companies that exist for the sole profit of making a buck. And we know what companies, um, what companies these are, you know, that company that markets high fructose corn syrup in a red can as happiness. The company that employed that, that, I mean, that makes, that spends billions convincing Americans to pour high fructose corn syrup in their body. And that wrecks your immunity. It leads to diabetes 
and and that company is basically packaging poison as as a brand. That's humanity minus. We need yeah. to create a world where the world's best minds leave companies like Coke, like McDonald's, and move to companies like SpaceX, like like Apple, companies that are actually doing good for humanity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. That's the difference between humanity minus and humanity plus. And if you are an entrepreneur, look, it's okay to want money. It's okay to want to be rich. But if you can, if you can merge that with a desire for contribution, for making the world better, you are going to live a truly incredible life and leave a more powerful legacy. And this is so important right now. It's so important right now because our world is going through a breaking point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I wonder, actually, because I was fascinated in there, you talked about, uh, you were talking about having those foundational values as being a very important part of this uh, human plus opportunity or this human plus humanity plus plus organizational mindset. And you mentioned in there that you had a moment where you instituted, you, you implemented your, you identified your foundational values and... 30% 30% of your team resigned. So tell me, now I know this was years ago. Right. Like, I want to hear yeah. about that moment because, because I think it's important that right. yeah, sometimes that's what that right. looks like. Yeah. So can you tell yeah. us about that? So, so what happened in, in 2016, in 2016, I changed the values of the company. I realized, I realized that how we were operating was we, 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 we were operating based on, on values that had been designed through the democratic process of pulling everyone in the team and coming up with 10 values. And these were values such as customer service is turn customers into raving fans. Uh, We evolve true learning. We kick serious ass. Those were actually a list of 10 values. Now, one day, one of my ex-employees, probably one of the most brilliant people I ever hired, his name was, his name is Dreamer. Dreamer uh, had had worked for me when he was 24 years old. He had gone on to become a celebrated author. He had gone on to speak at the Oscar Freedom Forum to be invited to give talks at universities all around the world. He was an incredible Sudanese man and philosopher. And one day in 2016, Dreamer had had been out of the company for eight years. He came back and we were having coffee. We were catching up. He was an ex-employee and he said, Vision, you're running your company wrong. And I was offended. I'm like, what? You have no experience running a company. How dare you tell me I'm running my company wrong? And he says, Vision, you're running the company wrong because your heart isn't in the company. And, and something hit me because he was right. I was getting bored. So I said, do tell me, what do you mean? And he goes, look, every entrepreneur, founders make this mistake. He says, I want you to think of an alternate way of looking at a business. What if the way you've set your values for your business in this democratic process is wrong? What if the universe chose you to create mind value because there's something within you, there's a seed within you that the universe implanted that you, can, that you need to give birth to in the world? You have to identify your own seed. You have to identify your values and build your company around that. So I said, so I was a little bit confused because I followed the classic playbook of developing values. That classic playbook I had, I'd gotten from Zappos, Right. Yeah. You, you pull all of your companies, you, you pull all of your employees, um, you, you, get, you ask them what does company X mean to you? You cluster those together and you come up with the top 10 and boom, those are your company values. Amir said, it, well, his, his name was originally Amir, he changed it to Dreamer. Dreamer said, what you got to understand is that there are two types of values, 
foundational values or founders' values come from the seed of the soul of the founder. Then organizational values come from the team. But here's the important thing. The founders' values are like the U.S. Constitution. It is the basis for the company. It doesn't get changed. The values that come from the team are like the laws passed by Congress. They change every year. They change as the team changes. You do not have a constitution, so let's create one. So he led me through an exercise, and you can do this exercise as well. And the exercise is very interesting. You think about the peak moments in your life, the moments of sheer elation and moments of pain. Because what did we say about pain before? Pain can lead to insight. So by looking at your pain and looking at your elation, you start understanding the narrative of your life. Steve Jobs said, "You cannot, you cannot connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking backwards. And as you start connecting the dots looking backwards, you start understanding that the universe, or God, or Jesus, or whatever you want to believe, infused certain patterns into your life to awaken in you the values that you need to bring forth into the world." For example, you may you may have been abused as a child, and that put in you a desire to spread compassion and kindness. That becomes your dominant value. How can you infuse that into your business? And as I did the exercise, I realized that my dominant value was unity, global unity. Why? It was global unity because in 2003, during the Bush administration, I was put in a Muslim watch list and had to leave America, the country I loved. That's why mine value is an American company. Is in Malaysia, so I decided back then that I will oppose any politician who speaks of division. That I would do everything I can to create a company that was borderless, and it's why today Mind Valley employs people from 60 different countries. It's why Mind Valley today supports unity politics. It's why Mind Valley is going to do everything it can to support Joe Biden, because we believe in in. In bringing an end to backward ideas of nationality and racism, but that became my value, and I inject. So I took this concept of unity and I injected it into Mind Valley. Here's one example: we decided that every time in our transformational education program, when we spoke about relationships, for five percent of the time we will feature a gay couple because that's the reality of the world. And Mind Valley was in a Muslim nation. Where LGBT rights were not recognized, mm -hmm. so I was invited to give a big speech in in um, in a certain very popular Muslim country, and it was being live streamed on national television. And I channeled the country to adopt gay rights. Immediately, it caused this massive panic. They they cut the stream. I had to write a letter of apology so the conference organizer wouldn't get sacked. But I was living my values, mm -hmm. and I'm proud of that. And you know what? They asked me to come back, and I got a standing ovation. You see, leadership means knowing what your values are, ensuring that your values though are higher level values, and the highest level value is unity. It's expanding your compassion to all people, to all colors. It's tearing down walls, not putting them up. So that became the first value in Mind Valley. The second value was transformation. We decided that we were going to take personal, make personal transformation a value of the entire company. The first thing we did when I discovered that is we took 100 employees and put them on a health transformation regimen, wild fit. I ended up losing. I, I, I ended up taking my body fat from 22% to 15%, and 100 of my employees joined in. The record was 51 pounds lost, and yeah. we decided that we are going to embrace. Every program we put out there. If we don't believe in a program, 
we won't publish it. So the first thing we did was we killed 90% of all our programs. Because if I can be honest, we were publishing them for money. Mm. We were not doing them. We killed every single program that we as a team were not doing. Yeah. And other entrepreneurs looked at me and said, what? That's stupid. But I needed to live that value. The very next year, we grew in revenue by 50%. It was one of our highest ever revenue growth years because everything we did right now was quality and mattered. And the third value is a concept I call envisioning. I'm an engineer. I need to build things. And envisioning meant that mind value is going to evolve itself every single year and invent something new. And if you as an employee cannot keep up, it's okay for you to go and join another company. Okay, so we made change and rapid change a core part of our DNA. So you see, within five years, Mind Valley will be the most advanced educational technology on the planet because that is how fast we are evolving right now. So these three values became the soul of the company. But when I instituted them, things started changing. And employees who disagreed with the values, they, they and it wasn't like they left in an angry way. Things just came up and they decided to leave and that's okay. Right. For example, we used to do a lot of direct marketing, direct response marketing. We had a lot of copywriters who would write these long form sales letters. And I, I, I stopped wanting to do that. Right. I wanted the quality of our programs to matter. But of course, that killed temporary sales. And so many copywriters who were used to direct form, pushy newsletter state, they left and that's okay. They're not bad people. We just changed what we needed to focus on as a company. And so that was what happened. Um, I had some engineers change because they're like, we can't work for you. You, 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 you are changing things too it's fast. It's going too fast. And I'm like, right? that's okay. That's okay. Right now we have more engineers than we've ever had before. And they are, and they are incredibly talented because they are the type of people who want to build and innovate and iterate and deploy products, great products fast. And so when we lost 30% of our, of, of, of our team, it didn't shrink the company. The very next year, we suddenly had the biggest profit margin we had ever had as a company. Yeah. I mean, I loved, I loved that story in there about WildFit. And then you went on to say that then to, to join Mind Valley meant to also be somebody who cared about their health, who was an right. active person like that. And, and right. you can let them go. I think actually I, I'm not one to repeat something that someone said, but you said something in that piece there that meant so much to me. Um, it was right at the beginning and that thought of, so for all of our listeners, watchers here, what if, what if you are called to do this work? Cause I feel like so many of us have that call, that feeling of calling, right? Like I, I feel like I, I'm called to do this and I'm going to put this together and soon it grows and it becomes something. But what I, I love that you said, what if what you personally, uniquely, vision, your, your seeds of your values, you as the founder are actually what the world needs. Like that is why the universe, God, whoever you want to see, put you in this place, gave you this idea, this inkling, this, you know, one step forward. Like, I, I think that that as you're, as, as anyone, as I am struggling to, oh, what should I do? And you get pulled and, oh, maybe I should do this and maybe I should do this. And maybe, maybe to, to remember that, no, no, well, what's within you is the reason. It's well, beautiful. Well, let me try to articulate that. So there's an interesting idea 
Elizabeth Gilbert wrote about it in her book, Big Magic. It's my favorite book. Said, I'm sorry. Exactly. My second so, favorite, so, which I said, no, it is my favorite <laughs> book. My favorite book. I love that book. Yes. So, so Elizabeth Gilbert said that the universe has, the, the, the universe doesn't play favorites. The universe will dream up an idea of how it next wants to express itself. And it will go around and whisper this idea to several people. And if you are lucky to have the idea whispered to you, you've got to raise your hand and say, I'm going to do this. Because the universe doesn't care. If you don't do it, it'll just pick the next person. But if you raise your hand, that universe is going to go, oh, you ready to do this? Great, let's get started. And the universe, I believe, is going to be a benevolent boss. I mean, think about it. If your boss assigned you a project and you said, I'm going to do this, is your boss going to make it harder for you? No, your boss will likely, if he, will, if he was a good boss, is going to give you the assets, give you the resources, make it easier, not harder. But so many people, when we certainly get these whispers, we're like, no, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. It, can I really do this? Yeah. And so the important thing to understand here is that the universe doesn't play favorites. There are ideas floating all around, like the universe, a God or humanity needs to express itself in new ways. And it's waiting for people to raise their hand and say, I'm going to tackle that. Mm -hmm. Today, I was having lunch with a remarkable a woman entrepreneur who was thinking about running for office. And she said, I don't you know, I'm thinking about it, but I don't know if I should really, if I should really do it because it's going to be hard. And she said, and the political system is so misogynic, misogynistic. And, and I don't know if I need to do this. And I said, the fact that you got the whisper, the fact that you're even considering this is exactly why you need to do it. And I pulled up my phone and I read her a quote from Elizabeth Gilbert. It's actually, have you ever seen the book Eat, Pray, Love? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Eat, Pray, Love, there's a, a beautiful closing quote. And I want to I wanna read that because I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to actually be of resonance to people who are listening. So in the movie Eat, Pray, Love, just as Julia Roberts figures it all out, you hear Julia Roberts' voice saying, in the end, I've come to believe in something I call the physics of the quest, a force in nature governed by the laws of gravity. The rules of the quest physics go something like this. If you're brave enough to leave behind everything familiar and comforting and set out on a truth-seeking journey, either internally or externally, and if you truly are willing to regard everything that happened to you on that journey as a clue, catch your moment. And if you accept everyone you meet along the way as a teacher, as a Tory moment, and if you prepare most of all to face and forgive some of the most difficult realities about yourself, then the truth will not be withheld from you. And I believe what she's saying is that all of us are going to get that whisper to go on our quest. We need to pay attention and we need to do it. And the fact that we got the whisper is because we have an ally prodding us along, who's going to help us along the way. So don't question it. Dive into it. Now, what I say in my book is as you go on this quest, detach yourself from the outcome. Bruce Lee said, the point of a goal is often not to hit the goal itself. The point of the goal is to give you direction. It's to get started. It's to put you on an adventure where you're going to learn the best about yourself. That's what Gilbert was saying. And so I want to have everyone listening out there when you hear that whisper, whether it's a new book or a new app, or it is to run for office, take it 
run with it. You cannot possibly fail. And if you do, it's just going to be a Kensho moment and you're going to end up so much stronger, wiser, and better at the end of it. It's a win-win. But if you do succeed, you could be creating new realities for the world and, and your life will never be the same again. I, I, I always think about it as being in the middle of the story, right? Like each, each one of those stops on that quest is, is a part of the story that you'll right. tell later. So, so tell me this as we, as we wrap up. And of course, for the listeners, the Buddha and the badass, I'm sure you will be as fascinated as you read it as I was of, of this incredible place and time that this book was written and then published and where we're going now. And that's actually the question that the last question I have for you, Vishen, is what do you see is next in your story? Hmm. Well, what's happening next is that um, Mind Valley is working on some incredible technology that's going to change the way human beings learn. We're working on two, on, on two things that we want to bring to the human species. The first is making humanity net positive to nature. That means for every year human beings are on planet Earth, the Earth gets better and better and better. That we are giving to the Earth, not extracting from it. Think about ants, right? Ants have three times the biomass of humans, but for every year ants are on planet Earth, the Earth gets better. Our species doesn't do it. So we're gonna do everything we can to help make humanity net positive to nature. Now, how we're doing that is by building the most advanced education platform in the world and getting it into governments, getting it into companies, getting it into nations. Mind Valley will be powering the majority of schools, companies, and governments in the world in 20 years. And it's going to be doing so in a way where we retrain the human species to live in a more sustainable way. But that's just the first part. The second pillar that we're moving towards is Earth-centered identity. We have to create a world where men like Bolsonaro or Donald Trump never win a world again. Because as soon as you talk about division, as soon as you talk about walls or hate, you're rejected. We have to create a world where we see ourselves as members of planet Earth first. When Elon Musk colonizes Mars, I hope that on that rocket, above the American flag is the Earth flag. So a kid in Afghanistan or a kid in the Philippines or a kid in Mexico can look up at that rocket and go, I belong. Mm -hmm. Only when we move the human species towards Earth identity, when we can we come true as a unified species to help solve the world's biggest problems, global warming, pandemic, poverty. Only then can we stop this ridiculous expenditure on military and use that to feed and clothe the hungry. So that is what I work on every single day when I wake up. It's those two things that pull me forward. If I'm not, if I'm not moving towards those two things in some way, that I'm failing to live my mission, that I'm not Vishen Makiani. So that is what we are working on. Well, now, I have we're going to go yeah. and, and we'll be going and, and I was going to say, and so that's the 20 year vision in two years, two to three years, we'll be going public on the NASDAQ and um, uh, that's going to generate unlimited funds to start moving towards that vision. And you know what, actually, I think it's, I mean, I think it's important to bring up because you're talking, you know, these big, these big pillars, these huge things that you're, that you're working towards. You just said that's a 20 year vision and in the book at the end, you mark, you mark out how to how right. to take pieces of these because I think 
either people have these big visions and never break it down so they can move towards them or they're too afraid to have the big visions because they can't see the steps to get there. So, right. so illustrated that concept right there by saying, here's our big vision. And in the next two years, right. this is how. So I appreciate that so much. This has been the conversation. I knew that it would be, I'll be honest, I needed this um, light and hope today. Like this is the exact conversation uh, I needed to have. And I know as everyone's listening to it and watching it, I'm sure they will be feeling the exact same way. So congratulations and so much gratitude. And uh, we can't wait to hear the rest of the stories you'll tell.